You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. All right, church. Well, if you will, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And if you don't have your own copy of Scripture, it's page 810 in your pew Bible in front of you. You know, this past Friday marked the beginning of the 2021 Summer Olympics. Anybody watch the Olympics in here? Is that like a thing? Okay, a few people do. Yeah, I don't really care. But anyway, um, <laughs> whatevs. Um, but anyway, the Olympics are happening, and it's where the best and strongest and most athletic people in the world compete for the gold. And you know, the Olympics have been known to inspire some unbelievable endeavors. In particular, I found this uh, this past week, the London Olympics in 2012 inspired an unnamed 34-year-old man to attempt to accomplish an impossible feat. You see, the man told his friends that he wanted to swim from London to New York, a total of 3,594 miles to bring some Olympic spirit to America. Well, to give you some perspective, that's 580 times longer than the longest Olympic swimming event. And so he jumped into the water in an impromptu event to achieve his goal. Well, needless to say, well before he came close to achieving his goal, the man was rescued by a helicopter off the French Atlantic coast. You see, church, even though God has created us to do some pretty incredible things, this man had set an impossible standard before him. A standard that no matter how hard he tried, he was destined to fall short in meeting. A standard that even after a valiant attempt would only reveal how weak he really was and his need to be rescued. Well, church, in the same way, God has given us, his people, a perfect standard for living. A standard that despite our best efforts, we can never meet. A standard by which its very purpose is to reveal our weaknesses and our need for a rescuer. And the Bible calls this standard the law. Now, the law of God was given to Moses as a comprehensive set of guidelines for holy living, specifically for God's chosen people, the Israelites. And without getting too much into the weeds, the law can be broken down into three categories. You've got the moral law, ceremonial law, and judicial law. And at the end of the day, God's people were required to follow his law and all the practices that came with it. But again, to follow God's holy standards perfectly was an impossible feat. And it only reveals our weaknesses and our need to be rescued. Which is precisely the point. You see, Galatians chapter 3 verse 19 says, Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised, Jesus. You see, the law was given to reveal the sinfulness of man. And it served as a means of restraint until God's promised Savior arrived. And so this morning, as we continue our study on the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to learn about the connection that Jesus Christ has with the law, but more the Old Testament law, but more importantly, why it matters. Why does it matter to us today? And believe me, it matters. It matters greatly. And, and so it's through our study we're going to be reminded of an important truth to remember. I love this. Jesus 
provides for us what he requires from us. And so we're going to pray and ask God's blessing on our time in his word today. God, I want to thank you again for the opportunity to be in your word. And Lord, this, is a, uh, this topic is, is not particularly the easiest in the world. But Lord, you are faithful and we just pray that, that your word would speak to us, God. That, that what I teach this morning would just simply be the truth of your word. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would work in each one of our hearts and convict us, Lord, in areas that need convicting, teach us in areas that need teaching, rebuke us in areas that need rebuking. Lord, above all things, may we leave here closer to Jesus than when we arrived and all God's people said, amen. So before we jump into today's passage, let me just kind of catch you up to speed with where we're at. Uh, We began our series working through the Beatitudes, which are a series of blessings reserved for those who embrace kingdom living. Last week, we looked at two general characteristics of kingdom living, which is being salt and light. And and, and that kind of sets the stage for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, because in the Sermon on the Mount, it's all about living in a way that makes a difference to the world around us. And so being salt and being light uh, is being different. And up to this point, between the Beatitudes and then the call to be salt and light, Jesus was already starting to make some waves with his sermon, because the words that he's saying were pretty radical for his listeners. And so whether it was the radical content of his message or just simply the way he preached it with authority, Jesus evidently sensed that some of his listeners thought he was supporting some sort of overthrow of the Old Testament law. And so therefore, before expounding and getting more specific on kingdom living, Jesus clarified his position on the law, the Old Testament law, by giving an extraordinary, life-altering disclaimer on his relationship to the law. And so it's with this context that we're going to read today's passage, and then we'll, we'll break it down a bit. Verse 17, chapter 5, verse 17. Follow along with me. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven." A story is told of a minister who was walking to church one Sunday morning when he passed by one of his members who was working in his garden. And the minister said, can't you hear those bells calling you to church? The member replied, huh, what's that? The minister repeated, can't you hear those bells calling you to church? The member shot back, I'm afraid you're going to have to speak a little louder. The minister shouted, can't you hear those bells calling you to church? The member said, I'm sorry, I can't hear you over those bells. Church, Jesus wanted to make sure that his listeners clearly heard and understood his important connection to Old Testament law. Because it was this connection that would forever change their lives and anyone who would believe in him. And so found within today's passage are four realities of Christ and the law. Let's begin by looking at the first. It's this. Jesus achieved the law. Look again at verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or prophets. No, I have come to not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. You know, this past week I learned something. There's some very odd laws that are still on the books 
in different states in our, in our nation. A lot of weird laws. For example, in Wheeler, Mississippi, young girls are not allowed to walk a tightrope unless they're in a church. In, in Blackwater, Kentucky, tickling a woman under the chin with a feather duster while she's in a church service carries a penalty of $10 and one day in jail. So if, that, if that's your thing, don't go to Blackwater. In Idenhaw, Oregon, uh, no one could eat unshelled roasted peanuts while attending church. This is a common theme. Don't, have, don't do this stuff in church. No peanuts, guys, so you're hoping for us to serve peanuts. It ain't going to happen here. In Honey Creek, Iowa, no one is permitted to carry a slingshot to church except a police officer. It makes you wonder, like, what happened that these things had to come up? You know, you can see, like, Dennis the Menace coming into church and the pastor's preaching and... In Lead Creek, Arkansas, no one is allowed to attend church in any red-colored garment. I don't know. In Studley, Virginia, swinging a yo-yo in church or anywhere in public on the Sabbath is prohibited. And lastly, just in case you're wondering, in Slaughter, Louisiana, that's a place apparently, Slaughter, Louisiana. What happened there that it got its name? But anyway, in case you're wondering, turtle races are not permitted within 100 yards of a church building. So if that's your thing, you can't go to slaughter. <laughs> you know, friends, at, at some point or another, for some reason or another, these laws mattered. Now, while they're still on the books, I don't know. I'm sure they're not really practiced. But at one point, they were important nonetheless. Well, to those who were listening to Jesus' words, especially the Pharisees and scribes who were the religious leaders of the day, the law of God mattered. It was of utmost importance. And they saw the teachings of Jesus as trying to subvert the law of God. However, in reality, Jesus wasn't trying to undermine God's law he, or the prophets. He was showing himself to be the complete fulfillment of the law and prophets. Luke 24, 27 says, Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures, what? The things concerning himself. See, he, he takes them, he says, hey, this is me, this is about me, this one's about me too, this one's about me too, you know what I'm saying? You see, the Old Testament writings, prophecies, and even the law itself were always intended to point people to Christ. So when Jesus finally arrived, he achieved all of it. And he achieved it in several dynamic ways. I'll give you a few examples of how he achieved the law. First, through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus fulfilled all the messianic prophecies written in the Old Testament. And there are many. John 5.39 says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, the scriptures, that bear witness about who? Me, Jesus. So he's talking to the Pharisees. He says, look it, like, it's all about me. They're all ta they're, it's talking about me. Second, Jesus lived a perfect life and kept all of the law's commands. He was the only one capable of living up to God's perfect standards. 1 Peter 2.22 says, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Third, he achieved the law by dying on a cross and satisfying its demands. You see, in the Old Testament, to remain in good standing with God, the Israelites needed to perform sacrifices for the temporary forgiveness of sins. Well, when Jesus came, he was the final, perfect, permanent sacrifice needed to make sinners right with God. Romans 10 verse 4 says, For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. And so as a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. Pretty clear, right? 
So church, I can go on, but the point is this. All that the law required was acquired by Jesus. He wasn't the law's opponent, but rather its greatest proponent. And that leads us to the second reality of Christ and the law. Jesus authenticated the law. Look at verse 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. You know, a few years ago, a very well-known pastor created quite a controversy in the Christian world when he announced that Christians need to unhitch from the Old Testament. That is, he was calling Christians to essentially ignore the Old Testament and focus solely on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and everything that follows as the basis for our faith. Now, I will say this. In his defense, all of the Old Testament laws were fulfilled in Christ. And so, therefore, as Christians, we're not bound by Old Testament law, and our primary source for godly living should be the New Testament. Romans 6.14 says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. However, this doesn't mean that we should throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are many reasons why Christians should hitch themselves to the Old Testament, none more important than the fact that Jesus hitched himself to the Old Testament. When Jesus said, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished, he was affirming the inspiration of and the unchanging nature of the Old Testament, even down to the smallest stroke or letter. In other words, he viewed the Old Testament as vital, and he validated its importance. In fact, one commentator noted that whenever Jesus quoted the Old Testament, when he quoted the Old Testament, he used the perfect tense of the phrase, it is written. When translated means, it was written, it is written, and it will always be written. And so, church, all of this to say, all of God's word matters. And while it's true, we need to be careful in our reading and our application of the Old Testament, we can be sure that hitching ourselves to it is a rewarding and worthwhile practice. The Apostle Paul said it best, and this, is, by the way, is found in the New Testament, in 2 Timothy 3, chapter 16 through 17, and this was written before the New Testament was written. So, so Paul was clearly referring to the Old Testament. He said, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Are you with me? This leads us to the third reality of Christ and the law. Jesus advocated the law. Look at verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called greats in the kingdom of heaven. You know, we've all heard the expression, climbing the ladder to success, right? And when we use this phrase, it represents a series of steps or stages that we must reach in order to advance higher in life. And usually that next step has to deal with some sort of job promotion that gives you a better position, maybe some more power. And let's face it, most people want to move up in life. However, what if you spent your whole life climbing the ladder to success, only to realize that at the end of your life, You've been climbing the wrong ladder. 
Think about that. Because church, the reality is there are many, many people who spend most of their lives climbing the wrong ladder. Now just to be clear, there's nothing wrong with working hard and and wanting the next big thing. However, when that becomes the sole purpose purpose and measure of success in your life, you're going to be left wanting. You're always going to be left wanting. Why? Because God calls us as his children to climb a better ladder. You see, most people work hard for that promotion here on earth. However, God wants his people to work hard for their promotion in heaven. And the way we get that heavenly promotion is by obeying God's commandments and teaching others to do the same. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verse 28, he says, Blessed. Blessed means blessed. Capiche? Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. You see, Jesus promoted obedience to God's commands, both for his glory and for our benefits. Simply put, a Christian who desires lasting greatness is one who is committed to living a life of godliness. Bible commentator R. Kent Hughes notes, he says, when God says certain people will be called great, big in the kingdom, he means it. In fact, we can only guess what this means, and our guesses will almost certainly fall short. So church, all this to say, Jesus was the law's greatest advocate. He was all about holy and godly living. If there's anyone who advocated wholehearted obedience to it, it was him. Now granted, that didn't make better, anything better for him and the Pharisees moving forward. I mean, this is, this is as clear as he can get about him and, and the law, and the Pharisees were still coming down on him his whole ministry. But the point is still there. Jesus advocated for it. And this leads us to the fourth and, and most important reality of Christ in the law. It's this. Jesus appeased the law. Look at verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Can you imagine that statement? You know, when I was in my final year of Little League, I was made the primary catcher of my baseball team. Now, overall, I was a pretty good catcher, unless one particular pitcher was on the mound, Marky Mark. Let me tell you, whenever Marky Mark pitched, I knew I was in trouble. Why? Because Marky Mark pitched hard and fast. And so whenever he threw, I knew that it was going to stink. You know what I'm saying? So many times, I would just miss the ball on purpose to avoid getting stung. I did not make friends with my coach that season. In fact, I remember one game, I missed the ball so many times. I'm like, I ain't catching off this guy. He's going to hurt me. And he's my teammate. And so I remember the coach called timeout. He calls me over to the dugout. He's like, Mike, listen to me. He looks me square in the eye. I need you to catch the ball. (laughs) I said, you got it, coach. I went back in, got down, Marky Mark through, went right over my head again. But I don't care. You know, looking back, I don't care because I got out unscathed, and that's all that mattered to me. I I probably caused our team to lose a lot when Marky Mark pitched. But the dude was like Chapman with the Yankees, man. He pitched like 100 million miles an hour. It hurt. Anyway, what point am I trying to get at? (laughs) Here it is. 
Church, whenever Jesus interacted with the Pharisees, who were, the again, the religious leaders of the day, his words always left a sting as well. Why? Because he always gave them the hard and fast truth. You see, the Pharisees were experts in the law. However, through time, their expertise led them into creating hundreds of unnecessary, elaborate, petty rules for interpreting and following God's law. And it actually got so bad that they were elevating their man-made rules to the level of Scripture. And so all throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus would often counter the Pharisees' teaching by saying something like, you have heard it said, but I tell you. In fact, we're going to hear this phrase a lot throughout our study in the Sermon on the Mount. Well, to the Pharisees, they viewed this phrase as offensive and blasphemous and trying to subvert the law of God. However, as we've already seen, Jesus wasn't trying to undermine God's law. He was cleaning up the mess that the Pharisees made of it. Theologian Carl Henry noted when Christ criticizes, excuse me, what Christ criticizes is not the law itself, but the contemporary formulations of the law. A modern day adaptation, I would say, would be probably legalism in the church. You're telling people the Bible says something that the Bible doesn't say just because it makes you feel better about yourself kind of deal. Um, and, and, and Christ doesn't want any of that. And, and so beyond stinging the Pharisees, Jesus' closing statement would have shocked and really stung all of his listeners. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were considered the holiest men in the community, at least to the common people. Now, even though they're, 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 how they followed God was very external and, and was misguided, they were still considered the, the cream of the crop as far as religious people are concerned. And they were fierce defenders of the law, and, and they sought to obey it. And so if you're, if you're one in the crowd and you're listening to Christ's statements, they're probably thinking, man, if the scribes and Pharisees aren't even good enough for the kingdom, then, then I'm like the average Joe is toast. I mean, if they are not fit for the kingdom of heaven, and their righteousness, again, at least in their eyes, was like way up here, then the average Joe stands no chance. And so when Christ gives this new standard, which, by the way, all culminates at the end of Matthew chapter 5, you have Christ's standard, and then he closes chapter 5 out by saying, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So you have this, this standard that Christ set, and it's like, how could anyone ever be made right with God? It's, it's impossible. But church, therein lies the whole point of Christ and his connection to the law. Last December, um, I took a few days and kind of went on a, a retreat by myself to kind of just get, get settled in with the Lord a little bit. And, and one of the things, and so I read this book, it was called Soul Rest by Curtis Zachary, which God used to really minister to my heart. And, and one of the things that I was wrestling with is, is in my Bible study, it was hard to read Matthew. Actually, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but especially Matthew, because you're looking at what Jesus is, is requiring and what godly living looks like. And it's like, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, I can't. Like, I can't measure up. Like, this is so hard. And, 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 I, and I've preached grace 100,000 times and all this kind of stuff, but you know how Satan just kind of gets in your head and messes with you a bit? And so he was messing with me every time I'm reading the book of Matthew, in particular, that like, Mike, you're not good enough. You're, you know, Christ standards are, are too lofty and all this kind of stuff. And so anyway, I'm reading this book, 
which, which, and this was just like a little nugget in the book that after I read it, I broke down. And I, and, I, and I was in tears, and I thanked the Lord for reminding me of this reality. Again, nothing elaborate or new, but to me it was something I just needed to hear in the moment. And so Curtis Zachary says this, his listeners, leaning on their understanding, would probably have walked away from the speech deeply troubled and infuriated at this impossible standard. I think I was reading the book, and I'm like, yes, that's how I feel too. And then the author reminds us, but what we know and what those people missed was that Jesus stood before them as the means by which they would be able to achieve this impossible standard. The payment for the satisfaction of their debt and our own, as well as our ability to reach this type of perfection, is available through Christ alone. And I'm telling you, church, it was just something, you know, sometimes you just got to hear it. You know how those moments happen in life? And, and I, was, I was alone, I was reading, and I was, all of a sudden it was just like, like this weight left me. And I was just like, thank you, Lord, for that amazing reminder. And then look, at you got 2 Corinthians 5.21, for God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. It's such a beautiful reality. You know, a story is told of, of a duck hunter who was with a friend in the wide open land of southeastern Georgia. And far away on the horizon, he noticed a cloud of smoke. And soon he could hear crackling as the wind shifted. And he realized the terrible truth. The brush fire was advancing so fast that they couldn't outrun it. And so rifting through his pockets, he soon found what he was looking for, and it was a book of matches. And so he lit a small fire around the two of them. And so soon they were standing in a circle of blackened earth, waiting for the fire to come. And they didn't have to wait long. They covered their mouths with handkerchiefs and braced themselves. And the fire came near and swept over them. But they were completely unhurt and untouched. You see, the fire would not pass where the fire had already passed. Well, church, the law is like a brush fire. We cannot escape it. However, if we stand in the burned-over place, we won't be singed. Why? Because Christ's death is the burned-over place. And so when we huddle within the reality of Christ's sacrificial death, the law is powerless to condemn us. Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 11 says, But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commandments that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, It is through faith that a righteous person has life. Friends, the implications of Christ's connection to the law cannot be understated. It's only by placing our faith in the person and work of Jesus that we can have the promise of eternal life and the power to live a godly life. In the great hymn of the faith, Great is Thy Faithfulness, there's a line that says, All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Church, more than anything, we needed a righteous rescuer. Like that, that, that dude that tried to bring Olympic spirit to America, we're just waiting in the water, ready to drown. Because, because the standard's impossible. We can't make it without a rescuer. 
And God, in his great love, sent Jesus to rescue us. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus imputes his righteousness onto anyone who would believe in him, guaranteeing them eternal life. Friends, that is an amazing reality. And this leads us back to today's truth to remember. Jesus provides for us what he requires from us. How about it? So what about you? Have have you received the free gift of his provision in your life? James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in just one point has become accountable for all of it. You see, we've all sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. Not one of us is innocent, but God in his great love for you and me sent Jesus to meet all the standards for us and give us the opportunity to be saved. It's not about penance or good works, although good works are important. God wants us to live good and holy lives, but that's not what saves us, right? So it's not about penance or good works, it's about belief, it's about faith. Jesus died on a cross and rose again to pay the penalty for your sin and give you the opportunity to be saved, have eternal life, and experience a purposeful, abundant life this side of eternity. And my friends, you could receive this free gift by admitting that you're a sinner and repenting of your sin and believing in the person and work of Jesus, trusting in him and him alone to save you. You say, I'm too far gone, Pastor Mike. My time has come and gone. Romans 13 has other things to say. Or Romans 10, 13, it says, no, it says, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And everyone means everyone. And so if you'd like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to invite you to do so. You can come forward during the closing song or at the end of the service, and it would be my joy to meet you and to pray with you. But if you're feeling that nudge, come forward. I'll be playing guitar. I'll be done soon, and we'll talk. I'm going to invite the praise team to come forward. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the amazing truth of your word. And God, I thank you that, Lord, the foundations of the Old Testament are just important today as as they ever were. But God, I do thank you, Lord, that we are no longer living under the law, but under grace. And so, Lord, is grace an excuse to keep on sinning? Your word says, no way. In fact, grace is just more, more and more motivation to holy living. But God, we are so thankful for the reminder that, that you supply Jesus Christ for the many areas that we fall short. And Lord, it's through the cross of Christ and Christ alone that we could be saved. So thank you for that sacrifice. Thank you for, uh, for your grace and your mercy in our lives. And Lord Jesus, I pray if there's anyone here that needs to come to faith in you, to stop trusting in themselves, their own works, but trust in you and you alone, they would make that decision today. And we could celebrate with them. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.